noticed or not understood before uh, when Hagar left and they came back and, and her and Sarah's problems with one another, you kind of knew, but it, it wasn't explained very well. I thought that was a very interesting part of the, of the chapter and uh, gave me a new insight into Hagar and her feelings and, and Sarah and her feelings. Exactly. Yeah, that would be so hard for, for Sarah on multiple levels, you know, just uh, that that law of the, the infertility where if you are 10 years uh, not having or bearing children that uh, that it was, uh, what does it say, an obligation, which is pretty strong, strong words there, to, to bring a second wife so that they could bear children. Um, that would be hard in and of itself. And then Hagar, this this blessed woman kind of turns on Sarah in in an awful way there and you know nobody's perfect but I mean this was especially hurtful and and stuff so yeah lots of different um, feelings and mixed emotions and things like that and I think that that deals a lot with Abraham and and his reaction to this scenario and and what eventually comes, the, the whole Abrahamic covenant here, uh, later on in the chapter, through this whole experience, uh, God's telling him to, to be perfect, even though you're, you're still dealing with some hard trials here. Um, uh, these ones aren't outside, but, but are affecting your, your direct family and, and the posterity and everything. Um, but be perfect, persevere, and, and you'll get through this. <laughs> I like I... Oh, oh. Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to just say maybe I hadn't appreciated um, the role that Hagar and her family would play as much in as I should have. That was just my own fault in the past generations. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, Teresa, go ahead. Okay, thank you. I just liked how Sarah um, went to Abraham and I think, um, and, and expressed her feelings and said, something's not right here, the way she's um, treating me and putting me out, you know. Um, and I think it speaks to Abraham and, and what a, a great leader he was, that she could trust her heart, him, and um, go to CERN. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, it it kind of cut out there in, in the end, so I'm not sure how you you wrap that up. But but yeah, I agree with your, your sentiments a lot there that um, how Abraham really uh, took that um, and, and dealt with it in, in just the perfect way that Sarah was, was trusted uh, enough and and their relationship uh, superseded all of this, this drama that, that was caused there. <laughs> um, yeah, any other thoughts and, and impressions that anyone had there? Well, I think you were right, Cameron. When you think about the whole situation, that Sarah was the one that went to Abraham and said, okay, here's this other woman, you, you take her and then she had to come back to him and say, well, it's not worked out as well as we would have wanted and we're not getting along as well as we had, have in the past and all that. It, uh, it, it was a real challenge for Abraham. It could have made mm -hmm. or break your marriage. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, as we know, anytime that the Lord has implemented polygamy or hand-wise, uh, hand uh, handmaidens and, and things like that, that uh, there's always a, a huge learning curve and, and things into all of that, that mess, I guess you could say. It's not, it's not a mess. <laughs> I think some of the reason why there was so much mess is that Sarah and Hagar didn't start off as equals. Hagar was her maid, right? She was her slave. And even though she converted to um, the worship of the true God, right? Um, she was still at a, in a lesser station. And so when, when Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham and he married her, 
that then made them equals. Now Hagar didn't have the to automatically, and, and Hagar no longer didn't had to defer to whatever Sarah said or what she wanted. She could be her own person. And now it's kind of like, okay, now I'm your equal and this is what I have to say. And I think that's where some of that came from. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're equal and maybe in essence, because she was pregnant with Abraham's child, she was feeling like maybe she was a little better than Sarah. Correct. And, you know, because she hadn't been used to that, she, you know, that that's a very natural thing, right? To go, oh, well, now I'm here and oh, I'm better than you now. And, and, and that's, that's some of the problems that come with those kinds of things, no matter what um, dispensation they're, they're in, right? Um, you know, that's, it's, it's probably a wonderful thing that we don't have polygamy right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know most women would feel the same. Plural marriage. Plural marriage. Oh, sorry. Plural yeah. marriage. <laughs> we don't have plural marriage right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it kind of reminds me on, on the kind of opposite end of the spectrum when, um, I'm butchering the, the paraphrasing of it, but when um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, when men get a little bit of authority, unrighteous dominion kind of a thing, like uh, mm-hmm. any, sometimes Satan can, can just get in there and just tweak a good thing and, and throw it off and that pride enters in kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and I think that Hagar is, is a good example to us and, and how to, um, because we know that many good things come after this for Hagar. It's not like this was her ultimate thing and then she's cast out kind of thing. That um, she she came back from this, learned and and was still able to to receive visitations and and spiritual gifts and things. And I think that that's that's key for us to to learn uh, just as much from from Hagar as, as Abraham and Sarah. Um, so yeah, what do we learn about Ishmael here? I, I find that this is so intriguing, and, and part of my uh, study right now is is really diving into Ishmael, the uh, kind of the the forgotten son. Uh, as far as me, I, I'm not saying everywhere, but like I just I don't know. Just as they're kind of cast off in the Genesis account, so I kind of have cast them off as. Oh, that's just kind of a tangential story as well. But, but really, Ishmael has a lot of these same Abrahamic covenant blessings that are bestowed upon him, and and as we see throughout the rest of this book, that there's there's so much that that he plays a part in in the perpetuation of the Abrahamic covenant. And so, yeah, I, I find that very interesting. What we learn here on page one sixty three is as well as throughout uh, this chapter and, and the rest of the book. Um. See. So let's go to page 166. So here we have um, Abraham, who is is kind of dealing with the situation, and then the Lord comes to him on page 164, and um, and appears to him. This time, uh, not in heaven, but but here on the earth, comes to him and um, says that walk in my ways and, and be perfect, uh, be blameless before me. And then starts unfolding the, the, the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant. He's gotten bits and pieces and examples before. Uh, some of his uh, Abrahamic tests have, have led up to this. But here's where, where it really starts picking up speed. Um, I'd just like to kind of walk through this whole uh, quote here from the, the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 17, 4 through 12. That's on this page. Uh, page 166. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of want to read it and really talk about uh, what this is is going for. Why is the Lord saying what he's saying as he's establishing this Abrahamic covenant? And it says, and God talked with him saying, my people have gone astray from my precepts and have not kept mine ordinances, which I gave unto their fathers. They have not observed my anointing and the burial or baptism wherewith I commanded them. But they have turned from the commandment and taken unto themselves the washing of children and the blood of sprinkling. And so we, we see a lot of that with the idolatry of his forefathers, with Terah and all of that up in the land of Ur, uh, with his excursion down to, to Egypt, etc. Um, but here we see some of the specifics of what they were doing wrong. Um, but we see that also in the Book of Mormon, that 
um, we're starting to the, the washing of children, the, the accountability issue that, that came forth in the Book of Mormon as well, that that's kind of the one of Satan's easy tactics that he brings in to, to kind of distort some stuff. Um, and they have said that the blood of the righteous Abel was shed for sins instead of Christ, which is very interesting, and have not known wherein they are accountable before me. But as for thee, behold, I will make my covenant with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And this covenant I make, that thy children may be known among all nations, not just Isaac, but thy children may be known among all nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come of thee, and of thy seed, and I will establish a covenant of circumcision with thee. And it shall be a covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, that they mayest know forever that children are not accountable before me until they are eight years old, and they shall observe to keep all my covenants wherein I covenanted with thy fathers, and thou shalt keep the commandments which I have given thee with mine own mouth, and I will be a God unto thee and thy seed after thee. So why is he establishing circumcision in conjunction with this Abrahamic covenant, and why the confusion at the Jerusalem conference after Christ is, is crucified. And what does that mean for our day? Is it replaced in the higher law? And what, just, just circumcision in general, like what, what do we learn from this? Why was it implemented? And how do we uh, wrestle with that conundrum today in, in the church? I was led to believe that the reason why circumcision was a, an object of the covenant was that it removed uh, an obstruction to fertilization? Mm -hmm. So it made uh, it kind of it, it made it easier for the wife uh, to become fertilized uh, because there was nothing uh, there to obstruct it, so to speak. So I think I just repeated myself twice, but anyway, the whole idea was this was an outward appearance of an inward covenant, just like. Uh, the other outward appearances that we do as far as the sacrament goes or, or temple apparel, etc. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was one of the reasons why, because I've pondered upon that very same thing. What, what do the two things have in common? What do they connect with? And over my years of study, that's where I've, I've been given that as an answer. And I thought, well, that sounds like to be the best there is. Mm -hmm. yeah, so for sure. Like that, that removing of obstruction that, um, uh, kind of the the natural man tendency, cutting out the natural man and and leaving the the, the pure part of um, that the seeks God kind of a thing. Yep. And so, um, yeah, well, I, I really like that. Helped, that it, it also helped to multiply Abraham's descendants, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if they were then more fertile, then they would have more children. And we see that in Egypt, right? And how the 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 uh, Israelites had many, many more children than the Egyptians. And, you know, they're like rabbits, right? And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that, that that played into it in in helping to increase the number of the covenant people at a faster rate than the general population. Mm -hmm. um, Nancy, what's your husband's name? Scott. Scott. Scott, will you repeat the second point that you made? I missed it. What? You're expecting him to remember? <laughs> Sorry. So your first point was to cut the skin off for fertilization. And then the second part was? It removes an obstruction. It was an outward symbol of an inward covenant. There we go. That's it. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Well, you got lucky on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so what are our modern ties? Because we know at the Jerusalem conference, they were uh, arguing about that. And um, like 
okay, so we're we're taking the gospel to all nations now, and the Gentiles are we circumcising them because I think that that's going to be a hindrance to missionary work and and, and things like, and, and they decided that it wasn't necessary for the new converts to be circumcised. And uh, modern day, you know, there's there's lots of different opinions within the church itself, but um, that what where do we see this kind of playing out uh, like you know with the the old law versus the new law um that things are, are generally replaced and uh an interesting uh word search as, as we go along the the word circumcision versus the word circumscribed uh, as seen in in the temple and uh, is that a, a possible change where where it moves from from one body part to another and the the purposes the blessings are still the same as explained on um oh where did that go i had it highlighted just a second oh page 170 it says that the the early church father ambrose said that bodily circumcision is a sign of spiritual circumcision therefore the sign remained until the truth arrived the lord jesus arrived who circumcises the whole person in truth not a minor bodily member in sign. He abolished the sign, he installed the truth. And I find that that's an interesting um, connection there as we, he, he talks about it being connected with truth. So circumcises the whole person in truth or circumscribes all truth into one great whole. Like, I think that there's interesting connections there as we move from physical circumcision to spiritual circumcision. Um, just my thoughts. Another I, thing not... to think about, Cameron, another thing to think about is um, we have been told that all things will be restored, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, even the Levites are going to come back and they're going to offer sacrifices again in righteousness in the temple. So if all things are, re are restored, this is something that may at some point in time be restored mm -hmm. now. So grateful for all of those mothers that circumcise their kids young so that we don't have to do it as adults. Maybe, right? You know, and, and that, that was one of the things I was thinking of. I was thinking, well, you know, <laughs> those, you know, there are many differing opinions, but. Once, um, just realize that there was also in time, and I can't remember the situation, that uh, a group of uh, people were conquered and they were they were told that they need to go in with a covenant. And as soon as they were in with a covenant, then they were all incapacitated. Then they were all destroyed. Yep. So, yeah, uh, that comes in just in two generations from here. <laughs> yeah. So the, it has to do with the ability of the individual to actually make and keep a covenant with the Lord. Now, it might have been that in that particular case that there may have been individuals who actually did covenant with the Lord and maybe they were spared at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's um, there's no real covenant in, in life without some kind of a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, there's whether always it's comfort or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a sacrifice that nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great point. Um, you know, Cameron, if you're planning on going over that last paragraph right before the three visitors, but I, I could use some help understanding that last paragraph there. Uh, where are, sorry, I've been like, well, flipping pages. 170, 171, just that um, last paragraph before the three visitors. Okay. Yeah. So which day? Huh? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which right day? there. Yeah, it says, so which day, according to the Perkday Rabbi Eliezer, uh, Abraham's blood was shed on that very day that would be commemorated as Abraham's Israelites by Abraham's Israelite descendants on the Day of Atonement, which in turn would foreshadow the sacrifice of the Savior. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so just like help understanding like what the Day of Atonement is or. or yeah, so is this like the timeline, I guess, is what I'm confused about. Uh -huh, yeah, so um, Abraham, then um, the generations come down, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
and then Jacob's 12 sons, and they go into uh, Egypt with Joseph of Egypt, etc. And then Moses brings them out. And Moses is the one that establishes the, the, the lower law and starts doing the, the feasts and festivals, those uh, celebrations. And the Day of Atonement is in the fall, uh, October, uh, September, October for, for our calendar, the Tishri for, for them. <clears throat> but the Day of Atonement is when the, the high priest is, is allowed the one day a year where the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies, receive the blessings from the Lord, and then uh, pronounce those blessings upon the congregation of Israel. And so the Day of Atonement is very much, very much. Um, pointing forward to the second coming versus Passover that is um, pointing to his first coming. Um, so the, the Day of Atonement is, is super crucial to... Um, uh, to realize in the timeline of things like he will come back on the day of atonement. That's um, the, the, the process here. And so when um, Abraham is, is shedding that, that blood from the, the circumcision on that, that, that circum uh, entering into the covenant, into the, the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant on that day of atonement, foreshadowing, the, the second coming of, of the savior. I, I realize I repeated myself there, but like, um, yeah, I, I don't know how to, to quite uh, describe well, that, that, but that helps. That was actually really what I needed. Thank you. And I'm glad you repeated it because it helps me like <laughs> so. get it that way. So that the, uh, the anniversaries would all line up together. So you had, only had to remember one date. That's all there was to it. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That um, Day of Atonement was when uh, they would do the scapegoat. Remember the story of the scapegoat where they send it out with all the sins and stuff. It's in conjunction with that. I do have a more comprehensive video on that on my YouTube channel. Um, in the Truths on Eden class, it, it goes through all of the feasts and festivals and kind of what they point towards um, if you're wanting some more information. And I think I have like links to other outside sources as well on on that okay thank you yep um so yeah i just um seen the the chat so teresa the i am i did start recording the sessions uh, like two weeks in um i i will send those out on an email to everyone um, I sent out the first batch a, a couple of weeks ago, um, but I'm not putting them out there publicly because a lot of people uh, weren't expecting that with this group and they want their, you know, their faces private kind of a thing. So they are unlisted, but I, I will share those links with anybody that's involved in the group so that you can kind of catch up on any weeks that are missed or uh, go back and review. I like going back and listening to some of the, the comments and stuff from, from the different groups, kind of seeing how group A is different than group B or C. Uh, we take the conversations in wildly different directions. <laughs> so, so they're all fun to, to go back and watch. Um, but yeah, it, I, I'll send that out in an email. Um, I just talk about like, like I try and think of the revelation of circumcision and like, moving that forward and how awkward that had to have been and like i don't know i just think the faith and the knowledge had to have been so sure yeah because moving that work forward and then having all of these men come to have yeah. this done especially in a time when healing wasn't as easy as it is now i had a son who had to get circumcised nine or 10 months after he was born because of some complications, he was premature. <clears throat> and it took longer to heal just being nine or 10 months past due. Yeah. And so I just think as an adult, it had to have been a horrible healing and a terrible experience to get that done. But I don't know, I just, I sat there today as I was thinking about it, just in awe of faithful members, you know, just, okay, let's do this, cut it off, you know, <laughs> like, yep, it exactly. have been so terrifying, but. Yeah, exactly, and, you know, like, that just goes to show you, 
how much they submitted to Abraham receiving instructions from the Lord. You know, we, we hear a lot about Abraham and Sarah throughout this whole book and how they're leaning on each other and, and the revelations of the Lord. But the, the whole camp here that is, is following Abraham, like, yeah, sign us up, you know, like let's, let's sacrifice, you know, part of our bodies now, like that's, that's some crazy stuff right there. But that just goes to show you how well Abraham was teaching them the law of sacrifice and to, to trust in the Lord, no matter what things come. And uh, yeah, I, I can't even imagine uh, doing that today, but I had never thought of, like what Nancy said, that all things will be restored and that might be brought back. Like, oh man, can you imagine? Like, okay, priesthood session. Who wants to take it? President Packer? <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to institute something new. Ready? <laughs> oh, that'd be crazy. That will be when all of those men who were circumcised as babies will go, dodge that bullet. <laughs> Yep. they're restored to wholeness and then they get to get it cut back off oh yeah <laughs> oh my <laughs> well, quick, mute her. Quicker. quick mute her <laughs> he, had just, he had just made the comment he was glad that he didn't have to worry about that and, and yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure all right so transitioning that into now we have these three visitors coming so you know we get kind of parts of this story when we talk in in sunday school the destruction of sodom and how abraham um negotiates or barters with the lord on behalf of the people but this is like this just laid out like a whole new scene and stuff like i want somebody to make a movie of this this would be awesome but like we have Abraham sitting there under the terebinth tree, healing from his circumcision, and, and all of the men are, are doing the same kind of thing. And then these three visitors come, and he recognizes them, and it's like, yeah, jumps up and <laughs> runs to him kind of thing. Like, I mean, this is painting a whole new vivid picture of, of a scene. Like, wow, there, there's so much more to this than, than meets the eye kind of a thing. I think there's symbolism all along the way. And so as we uh, get to to meet these these three visitors uh the author proposes that it's melchizedek and his two counselors uh, being translated friends um and they perform the the washing of the feet uh ordinance and then uh sarah makes this feast for them and uh then the the thing that we usually talk about we we kind of poke fun at sarah for laughing or whatever and we kind of misunderstand that scenario but um but then, Abraham laughed too. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then um, and then they pronounce these blessings like, okay, the day's finally arrived. That you know, you've had this whole Hagar issue and and all of these years of waiting, and now you're gonna start seeing this this blessing happen. Oh, and by the way, we're gonna go destroy a city real quick after this. But um, uh, all of these blessings are are bestowed upon you because of your your faithfulness kind of a thing like this is such an intriguing story why does the lord do it this way and and what does all of this mean i think it's it's so fun to kind of see this play out in, in this new way but what else did you learn from from this whole uh, overarching story of these three visitors and what what do we learn uh what insights and, and patterns is the, is the lord uh using here with abraham well i think that um sacrifice you know is is never one one sacrifice it's over and over it's everlasting and you see that pattern throughout their entire you know life together is sacrifice and, and faith in the unknown and the amount of faith that they exhibit they're they're being equally yoked together their oneness in purpose and in calling um is so inspiring but you know back in the beginning it talks about um the elect lady it says um what is it to be god's elect it is to be denied in youth the wishes of youth so as with great pains to get them fulfilled in old age. 
and or the wishes, the wishes of you. And you know, when you think about that, like they were blessed and protected. She was guided and directed and told this would happen and and so humbly accepting whatever that was like. And so I just I see the patterns of sacrifice throughout their entire history together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed the on page 178 where it's it's talking about Sarah and the future Mary and, and how some of their their things are, are very similar um, and uh, I love on in the middle of the page by uh, footnote 174 that it says as and as faith opens spiritual vistas of new vision so Sarah's prophetic powers were such that as Jewish tradition members, she was also known as a seer. She foresaw Israel's history and prayed to God to assist them in their tribulations. That she even seen the tribulations of her, her posterity and, and prayed on behalf of them. And we see this play out with Sarah as well as Abraham, that they're praying for groups of people. And um, one is for posterity, one is for uh, the, this wicked city over yonder. Um, but over and over again, we see that this is a pattern of the righteous, that they're praying on behalf of people, uh, not just their own immediate needs, not just their ward, um, but for, for people at large. And so I think that this is the, the key to me for um, this whole section here that really woke me up to, um, to let God prevail in, in this way in my life. So on page 181, um, I know I said it in, in chapter seven that there was one page that this is the most important part of the entire book, but this is the most important sentence of the whole book for me. Um, so I just want to read uh, the section right preceding this, this phrase here, but God on page 181, uh, right after footnote 196, God actually appeared to Abraham a remarkable fact considering what was on Abraham's mind. For Abraham was about to question the Almighty and even negotiate with him over the fate of the Sodomites, to whom he had been a friend. Abraham was much exercised, and God not only paid attention, but went to the trouble of coming to earth to hear his friend Abraham in person. Our Heavenly Father is more liberal in his views, stated Joseph Smith, and boundless in his mercies and blessings, then we are ready to believe or receive. He will be inquired of by his children. And when I first read that in, in this book here, I, I hadn't read that Joseph Smith quote anywhere prior to this, but when I read he will be inquired of by his children, I can't even tell you the amount of uh, a spiritual confirmation of that, like joy, gratitude, um, peace and comfort just everything washed over me as that that phrase resonated with me it was kind of like like waves of, of purifying water kind of thing i can't even describe it but he will be inquired of by his children he is such a loving heavenly father and abraham is is a perfect example of how to approach the lord in order to receive answers because as soon as we're ready to come to the lord he's ready to come to us and he doesn't ignore us. It's not like, oh, well, Joseph Smith just isn't listening to me about the 116 pages, whatever. He can just keep asking until I give in kind of thing. It's not like that. He will be inquired of by his children. He will answer prayers. He wants to listen to us. And he doesn't just, you know, pay attention. He comes to the trouble of coming to earth to hear his friend Abraham in person. And that just shows how loving our, our Heavenly Father is. But um, the, the point that I, I want to make through all of this is that Abraham is, you know, recovering from, from his situation. And he's just receiving this great news that the, the covenant that they've so long been, been waiting for is about to be fulfilled. And yet that is all dross compared to to what Melchizedek says that they're going to go do they're going to go destroy 
these these people he knows their wickedness he knows that they're just kind of an awful people over there with his family lot i mean it's not like this is any news to him but i mean he puts all of the blessings aside and just drops to his knees and petitions for these people negotiates on their behalf when they can't negotiate for themselves they're they're too far gone at, at this point to to even uh, pray for themselves kind of a thing but yet abraham the patriarch the great archangel of that dispensation the the head of that dispensation is humbling himself before his maker and and just pouring out his soul for them the the homework assignment for for this week was to um to look at all of the prophets that have done a similar thing of petitioning the lord for a group of people or for the world at large and I think that this is just huge. Um, that's what is going into my homework assignment for this next week. So our homework assignments are, are changing from here on out. <clears throat> it's not so much studying and going and, and finding these other things, but actually implementing these same things in our life. Um, I want to, to read uh, a little tidbit here from 183 and 184 before I issue it, but uh, it says that Abraham's example invites his Latter-day Saint descendants to do the same for today's world, according to modern prophets. President Gordon B. Hinckley declared, I heard President Lee say once to a congregation in Europe that we of this relatively small church could become the few who would save the world from destruction, as occurred when Abraham bargained with the Lord concerning the cities of the plains. Tremendous is our responsibility, and great and marvelous is our opportunity as sons and daughters of God. So this week, as we're we're moving forward, um, this week is is praying with all the intensity of, of your soul for the inhabitants of this world. Pray for this nation. Pray for this world. Pray for those that are seeking light and truth. Pray for the elect that need gathered. Like pray with the intensity of abraham this week on behalf of the people um if we want the blessings of abraham this is this is how we do it this is how we start implementing those higher blessings in in our lives on behalf of others uh, you know sometimes when we petition just for ourselves um things might might come but when we start reaching out and and asking the lord for other people that's when the lord usually starts ramping up his, his blessings because that's how it, it it always happens like he uses us as as vessels for that those blessings to come through us to his his children on earth so praise if everything depends on the lord and then get up on your feet and then act as if everything depends on you this is this is a principle with with heavy promises here in the Abrahamic literature to, to pray for the people and and pray for the world. Who knows who we can save through the power of prayer? Who we might be able to to wake up or um, to to you know as Abraham petitions for fifty, then forty five, then forty, then ten. That you know. Save it be one soul that we bring unto Christ through the power of prayer. I, I know that this is a, a, a huge prophetic promise um, through this uh, a, a principle uh, of praying for the, the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of ended the other class on that note. So my brain's like in wrap up mode, but we, we still have um, some time here to, to really discuss the, uh, things that happened to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah here. Um, what things did, did you all learn from from these last parts here um, with with the whole uh, Sodomite destruction and um, the heavenly council that it kind of mentions here, uh, the return of the three messengers, etc.? Uh, is it is it in this chapter where uh, Abraham realizes that now that Sodom and Gomorrah is no more, that he doesn't have opportunity to serve like he wanted to serve, so he ends up moving? Uh, 
so we could go find some place to serve. <laughs> That's in the next chapter. Well, that in the yeah. next chapter. Sorry, I've been <laughs> oh, listening ahead. I, I didn't mean to spoil the trailer or whatever. But oh, no. The, <laughs> no, you're Spoilers. good. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but even in this, you know, he was really concerned about the people in in Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. that he uh, he he got into a bartering session with the Lord. I mean, there that that's got to be you know. Start haggling, haggling with the Lord. I mean, well, are you making conditions now? Are are you yeah. making conditions now? Says he says that Abraham. He mm -hmm. says, uh, but he he got it down to ten people out of those two cities. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, and even then, the, the the angels were only able to get four out. You mm -hmm. could only find four that would do it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and one of them, uh, one of them. Uh, didn't even make it out <laughs> all the way. Yeah. yeah, I find it very interesting on, on 182 there where it says that as he's uh, bartering with the Lord there, uh, lowering the number. But in the Joseph Smith translation, it does tell that the Lord ceased speaking with Abraham at, at that point. It's like, oh man, I, if I was Abraham, I'd be like, oh no. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not <laughs> yep like um who else but abraham would have done such a thing risking his own standing and the great blessings he had finally now been promised to bargain with the the lord over the fate of the sodomites like is it worth it i mean he'd been promised the posterity and all this stuff and then he i, I think this is the the perfect test for him at this very moment here there's no coincidence in the timing but no i mean Yes, I do want the posterity. I want all of these blessings, but, but, I, I, that's the matter of hand here is the sodomites, and I need to, to to petition for their their behalf because they're not doing it on their own, and uh, you know, like just his his example here is just huge. Um, but yeah, well, maybe, I, I, maybe because he had a vested interest in one of those cities, because yeah. he knew a lot in his family were still there, so. Maybe he was kind of hoping, oh, by the way, I, I still got Lot there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, did I just save him from the the, yeah. the kings or whatever for no reason? Like, right. Well, you know, that, that, that was just an example that shows that he really did have so much love for his fellow person. He was willing to endanger his own life and yeah. standing with the Lord to at least bring it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and he's a great example of, of selflessness, right? And it's a, a type of Christ because Christ, to save all of us, he gave up his life, right? So Abraham, to save all of the people in these cities, he may have been willing to give up his own blessing of posterity. Mm -hmm. He at least risked it for sure. I was going to say that like his attributes, I can't find the part that I highlighted that I loved so much, but it talks deeply about his attributes. And the only part I can find is the tenderness of Abraham's heart is remarkable and as his purity. And, um, you know, it talked about how he jumps up to serve everybody and anybody, no matter what. And I just think about, um, you know, that he wants everybody fed. He watches for the travelers that are weary and pulls them in to feed them and um, attends to the sick. And so I just think that because his attributes were so uh, centered around service and charity that um, the Lord had mercy. He understood where he was coming from. And it also said somewhere else in here that, um, it was something that the Lord and him had decided before he'd even come to the earth that they were going to have this conversation. It was a foreordained conversation. And so I love that the Lord knew it was coming. He was prepared for it. There was no danger in the Lord's eyes. He knew it was coming. It was foreordained, you know, but on Abraham's side, it was, it was bold for him because he didn't know that he didn't understand that that was already something he had discussed before he came to the earth that that would happen. So I think that, that whole part was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was just reading in the Doctrine and Covenants, and I don't remember which section it was. I think it's in the 30s or whatever, 35 or so. But there was 
one scripture in there where it said that Jesus Christ pled with the Lord on behalf of of us. He pled with the Father, and I was asked, "Well, wasn't he already doing the Father's the Father's plan? So what was he actually pleading to the Father about?" that he was trying to get the father to change his mind about something that he had already planned for us to do or to happen against or for us. So in this particular case, maybe that was, this is kind of like a type and shadow or, or something where the savior was pleading to the father to save us. Maybe Abraham, maybe the complete plan wasn't in the bag yet. And maybe the, the savior is the one who, his input made the the ultimate change in how the father would deal with uh sin and, and justification and uh mercy and um and justice yeah for sure i think you you've got a lot there um and and i think that that, that applies to uh, like a lot of these these early patriarchs like enoch and saw our day and then pled on our behalf and then was established a covenant, and uh, then it was renewed with Noah when he saw what was going to happen to, to our generation and uh, those things. Like, there, there's many times where it seems like the, the plan gets, gets tweaked and changed because of the faithfulness of the righteous. That as we become saviors on Mount Zion, and, and later in Isaiah decoded, as we, we read that, we become proxy saviors, and we literally take upon ourselves some of the blood and sins of this generation kind of a thing and that motif allows us to become saviors on mount zion and through our faithfulness we're able to to become clear of those those things that we do willingly take upon ourselves for the wickedness of those around us like i, I think that there's a lot to, to study and ponder upon there but that that there's some plans that, that do depend on us and you know god with all of his foreknowledge and being able to see all of time at once kind of a thing you know he's seeing um the end from the beginning but but he sees that our part and because of our faithfulness and our pleadings that certain things are able to change and um on behalf of others i think that's such an important principle that, yeah i think uh, i think the lord allows us to plead for something to to help us to figure it out or to think it's our idea because then we become we have a vested interest in the outcome or we have a vested interest in the answer now maybe that was his whole idea to begin with but he wanted us to come up with it because then all of a sudden now we took ownership of that and we would not only take the ownership of the idea, but now we would also take responsibility in the work that needed to be brought forth in order to make come bring it to pass. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, taking that thought one step further is, you know, we know in the scriptures it talks about how Jesus wants us to even supersede him, right? Like he he wants us to become not just his equals, but we can go past him. And I was thinking of that, you know, even as a mom, like I want my kids to do better than me. I want them to succeed more than me, you know? And so that started making more sense to me, opening up my eyes. But maybe if you take to that, to that level of expansion, that level of um, potential within each one of us, seeing that our prayers and um, our pleading, they actually move and change everything within you know, ourselves, but also who we're becoming and who we're meant to become. I think, yeah, I think it's take that even a step further into what we're becoming beyond here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what we're talking about makes us grow, makes us become. Yeah, exactly. It's all about that becoming, um, you know, we're, we're God's an embryo, as Joseph Smith says, that, you know, this is how we learn. Um, once you finally give up your will and accept God's will for your own life, that's kind of one step. And then as you start caring more about other people than yourself and start pleading for them and, and for their well-being and the whole earth and etc., as your love and compassion and charity grows from this inward, my 
desires and everything and and really develops into to god's perspective on that love and compassion for, for all of uh, humankind then then we start realizing what god deals with and and how uh, expansive the, the whole creation really is and the purpose of every single thing that he does on our behalf um yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I, I really enjoyed all the, the comments here. Um, and then I, I find it interesting here on 185, if he finishes up the chapter, that um, that these, um, these messengers do return. Uh, such return is, however, recorded in Jubilees, wherein the angels later tell, when we went to meet Abraham and we appeared to him as we had told Sarah, that we would return to her and we returned and found sarah with child before our eyes and we blessed him and told him everything that had been decreed concerning him that he should not die till he was the father of yet more sons and that he should see them before he died but that it was through isaac that his true descent, uh, descent would be traced and one of isaac's sons would become a holy seed and not be reckoned with the Gentiles. He would become the most highest portion and all the descendants settled in that land, which belongs to God. So as to be the Lord's special possession chosen out of all nations and to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we went our way and repeated to Sarah all we had told him and they were both overjoyed. I, I think that that's just so uh, amazing um, that, you know, they, they came, they, they went, and then they, they came back. And just all of the, the blessings that these messengers are proclaiming and, and placing upon Abraham, uh, Sarah, and, and Isaac here. Um, and, and this is kind of the, the mission of, of translated beings as they are uh, on these missions to, to bless mankind even further, uh, even after their their telestial part of their their mortal uh being anyway i i just found this this chapter so uplifting uh both chapter seven and eight were are, are my favorite chapters are kind of the the crux the apex of the chiasmus of the life of abraham here and we haven't even got to abraham's big test of, of isaac that we always talk about i mean that that comes a little bit later but i mean <laughs> there's so much to his life and, and the covenants and his process in becoming what Lord, what the Lord has intended for, for his life. Um, I think there's so many patterns that, that we can incorporate from the life of Abraham into our own lives as we're building Zion. Uh, each one of these are actionable steps in order to, uh, to build Zion in our hearts, in our homes, in our communities, um, and, and eventually outpouring to the whole world as, as we see here in this example uh, with the, the petition for the sodomites. Um, Anyway, I, I just love uh, learning about Abraham and, and everything with, with this book and, and all the insightful comments that, that y'all have had. Um, just as we're wrapping up, any final insights that we didn't uh, cover tonight that you wanted to talk about or, or things that, about Abraham, uh, testimonies that you'd like to share about him? I just think it's been very enlightening, the whole book, Cameron. But like you say, these last two chapters, they were really, really enlightening. And I really appreciate you putting this together because it's something I would have never done without it. <laughs> yeah, um, so going back to, to seven, chapter seven, um, I went back through and I looked up <clears throat> the elements of sapphire and chrysolite. Yeah. And so I just wanted to share them since we have just a second. Um, sure. Sapphire um, is one of the four main precious gemstones. It enhances spiritual connection with your spiritual team, like angels and etc. And clear, uh, it gives you clear vision to reach your dreams and goals and helps you speak your truth. And then crystallite protects from evil, helps make right decisions, responsibility and justice, and brings joy into your life. 
And I just thought how beautiful it is that that's what they showed up with, that that energy and that love and that element of, of the earth, of, um, of matter, and gave that as a gift to Abraham to receive those blessings. And those are unspoken blessings. Those are just gifts of matter. And I just, I don't know. I went back and reflected on that last week and it was just really beautiful to learn and, and understand. So mm -hmm. just wanted to share that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, very much. And um, as those, as you were describing those, because it was um, talking about Enoch's appearance as, as those things were, were given there and that all of those things just describe Enoch so perfectly well, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for, for showing up to this book club. I, I've really enjoyed it. I'm so excited when we uh, get to uh, talk with, with E. Douglas Clark about this in, in a few weeks, but um, there's so many <laughs> fun, interesting things that I, I have a huge list of, of things. So if anybody has any other questions that they'd like to, uh, to ask or pre-submit or whatever, so that you can kind of ponder those before we uh, do that go ahead and email me those but um but yeah uh, i'm super excited I, i'm so grateful for him and his journey and putting this all together i mean there there's a few different uh things with nibbly and etc um but they're just not presented like this and i think that that was just one of his great missions in these last days to, to compile this book so that we can really learn at this time uh here is is the, the world is going to uh wrapping up and preparing for the second coming uh, of the Lord that we need to study Abraham and his blessings. It, I still uh, talk with people about Abraham and, and like I was just talking with somebody today and um, I mean, they kind of knew the Abraham story, just a general outline of it. But I was like, man, you're just missing so much. I forget how much that we don't know typically as a church from just like the Genesis accounts, et cetera. And in our, uh, Old Testament uh, Sunday school, you know, we just don't cover Abraham very much, but it's so crucial of this pattern of, of, of learning and becoming and um, ascension, apocalypse, and, and all of this vast information that, that E. Douglas Buck has been inspired to uh, research and put it all together in an easy to read format here. It's, it's just an amazing blessing. I'm so excited to, uh, to speak with him and have him on here. Um, but yeah, just a reminder that that's on uh, March 21st, and it's at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, uh, 6 p.m. Arizona time where he's at, um, which is a change from what I, I previously announced. Um, and yeah, so um, again, I'm just going to throw up that Isaiah schedule uh, up real quick again. I've changed the, the format of our Isaiah class. Um, uh, from what I previously shared um, based on uh, input and everything from everyone. So we are going to be doing Isaiah Decoded for the first nine weeks. And then we're gonna be diving into the actual text of Isaiah for weeks 10 through 16. Um, uh, we're just gonna take one class at a time rather than doing all three. Um, and so uh, it's going to be the same times Sundays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8 p.m., and Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, so the Tuesday class is the only one that gets affected and moves to Wednesday. Uh, other than that, it'll stay the same there. Um, and I'll put that up on the, the Learning Zion website. But yeah, any questions or final comments on anything? Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and... I kind of have a final a final comment. Um, I just think this is so beautiful. Um, found on 161 and it's quoting section 88. And just above it had talked about the beautiful relationship that um, Abraham and Sarah had. And um, anyway, it says Abraham and Sarah were living the law that the Lord would give to their latter day descendants, which is us um, to seeking to build Zion. See that you love one another, cease to find fault one with another. Above all things, clothe yourselves with a bond of charity as with a mantle, which is a bond of perfectness and peace. And I was, um, I took a quick minute and looked at the word mantle and it's just like a cloak. So um, just be, have it 
all over you, like covered um, with this love. I think that's just really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I had read that and I had marked it, but I <laughs> skipped over it here. That, that was a really beautiful part there that you brought back out there. But right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I love it. Yep. And however, if you can email out, because I would love to watch the last two classes that I missed. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll send it out right now before I forget. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right. Sounds good. All right, we'll see y'all later. Bye. <laughs>